Okay, back here in studio with uh, Nick Begich, candidate for Congress. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You've uh, not been on the podcast before, but you came on our show. Yes. did a while, while yeah, back on the yeah. live stream on the on election night. Yeah, yeah, that was good. What was that like, man? 48. That was a special, you know, June special. 48 people. I mean, yeah. that, just everybody was even nationally. I mean, I was watching meet the everybody's talking about meet the press. Like, what the hell? I know it's just it's been a wild race. I don't think we've seen anything like it in the history of uh, Alaskan politics. And we've got some pretty wild politics up here as it is. But uh, 48 people, it's sort of like a trip to Baskin-Robbins. You know, you got a flavor for everybody. Yeah, and we had an opportunity to to uh, to sift through the choices. Actually, I think it, it might have actually been too much for a lot of Well, there of was this, obviously this kind of Santa Claus weird thing, and then there was obviously Palin, and then there was a Gro- Al Gross, which, which that got weird. You know, he dropped out, and there's been a lot of speculation about why. And then there was this issue with the timing of the special election and the, in the days, right. To, you know, the withdrawal deadline was set in a time when even if you withdrew by the deadline, the Tara Sweeney, the fifth place person didn't go up. So it's, it's such a straight, the whole thing's very, the whole thing's strange. And I think this is, this is sort of unintended consequences of, uh, passing laws by ballot measure. I think they can create some confusion when they, when they move into, um, this is a ballot practice. measure too. Yeah. For ballot measure too. And, uh, you know, we're all trying to work through this process. I think that everyone's got a, a plan. Everyone's got a strategy. Everyone's got thoughts around how this whole thing works. But I don't think any of, anyone really knows until we see how it plays out in this uh, special general election. So you got in the race a while a while ago. You were challenging Congressman Young, and then it was just kind of you and him for the most part. And then Constant got in, yeah, Democrat late. But then, you know, Congressman passed away, and then it just... The whole race, I mean, Everything radically changed. changed the dynamic of the race. Everything after changed. That. It was just, uh, it was it was a wave of interest that you saw. And who knew that there was so much latent interest in folks out there who wanted to run for the seat? Uh, I mean, know, there's been, I've been here since 04 and been covering politics for, you know, I've been involved in it for at least 10 years. And there's always been that kind of, you know, if Don Young, when he's, when he's, when he's done, when he's gone, who's going to, and there's always been different pe- names have been thrown out of people that might want to. Oh yeah, run or who who the successor might be, but it's it's always been kind of this awkward discussion people have had. Well, and you know what's really wild? Uh, yeah, it is. It it can be an awkward discussion. What's what's wild is as we campaign throughout the state, uh, we continue to encounter different folks who come up to us and say, "Hey, Don actually asked me to run," and there were at least a dozen folks or more. Well, I think Reve, yeah. Revac he ran and and he dropped out of the the regular election but he he was working for him and i think there was some video once where even at some fundraiser when he was like this is the you know he said this is my guy or something yeah well uh you know i don't know we we will never know i suppose um what what don's thoughts were around you know who he wanted to see next and or if he wanted to see anyone next that's all speculation at this point but um you know we've got a situation now where we've got a big decision to make in this race. Um, it's coming up here in less than three weeks, less than three weeks. We've got, I think, uh, the calendar said 18 days left. And, uh, you know, we haven't had a new, uh, congressman in Alaska for 49 years. And for the folks listening, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of them know, but some don't know the last congressman was your grandfather. That's right. Yeah. Nick Begich, the first. That's right. Cause you're the third. I'm the third. He didn't, he didn't have the first on, at the end of his name, but he was Nick Begich senior, I suppose. And he, uh, he disappeared, disappeared in a, in a, uh, plane crash, uh, presumed dead um, in October of 1972. He was running for re-election. Interesting fact, uh, the way Alaskan politics works. First person he beat in order to, to, to win that seat for Congress, Frank Murkowski. Oh, wow. I think I, yeah, I think I knew that. Yeah. So it's... Uh, and then Don ran, and then he beat Don too, didn't he? He beat Don uh, posthumously and... Then there was a special election. Actually, in March of 1973, Don uh, was seated in the Congress and went on to be the longest-serving Republican in U.S. history. Now, you weren't around them, but I've asked your uncle, Mark, Mark and Tom, I've had on the podcast you know, many times, and it must just it must just be this weird, no, no closure on that. And there's been speculation, these weird podcasts, and there's been all this, like, oh yeah, you know, kind of weird shit they've come up with, because it's, like, easy to do a 
conspiracy theory when something like that happens, but it just must be hard for them to never really have known. I mean, is there an idea? I mean, it just it went down and it just sank and that's, you know, it. I think everyone's got sort of their own theory about what happened you know, as best I, I can deduce for myself. I think it, you know, it was just bad weather conditions, icing on the plane probably took it down and it's somewhere in the Gulf of Alaska somewhere. And, um, that's the most likely, uh, possibility you know what's also added to some of the controversy around that uh whole set of series of events was that the house majority leader hail boggs hail boggs was on that plane as well and that's the you know baggage boggs over there um by whittier that's right yeah and so uh hail boggs actually was Cokie roberts father which is also another interesting really historical. yes yeah the anchor the news yes i didn't know that yeah yeah Wow. So this just creates all kinds of oh, yeah. potential. Yeah. But, you know, look, what's, what's fascinating is as we, as we move forward um, into this race, you know, we've got, we've got some, some additional old names that have kind of surfaced, right? We've got uh, Sarah Palin mm-hmm. in this race. Even in the first one, Emil Nadi, yes. the first 48-person special primary, he ran back in the day. That's right. Against Don Young back in the 70s. That's right. He did. Yeah. He uh, he ran against Don Young as the Democrat nominee and lost, I think, by a couple thousand votes, maybe fewer. I don't recall the exact number, but it was a pretty close election. And it's interesting, you know, because you go back to Bartlett and and um, even Mike Gravel. You know, Alaska was initially a Democratic state and they Hawaii were. was the Republican state. That's right. Yeah. And that's why, you know, at the time, even now when they look about, when they talk about adding Puerto Rico or, or D.C., they want to just talk about balancing it. And then, you know, everything switched. Oil, people, people came from Texas and Oklahoma. And then Alaska switched, became Republican. Right. And Hawaii became Democrat. But back then, I mean, Bartlett and these, and these guys, these guys were very progressive Democrats early were, on in Alaska. And, and uh, you know, you, you mentioned oil and gas as being a big part of that. Also, uh, military Yes. The increase in the military mm-hmm. presence in Alaska was a big part of uh, the the move. From, yeah, Cold War, from blue to red. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just a really interesting. Like Mike Gravel was, you know, very. I mean, big time Democrat, and he 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 ended up beating um, uh, oh, what's his name, uh, Greening, who was a very progressive Democrat, and he came up here. I don't know if you know the story. He died a couple of years ago. I was supposed to go. I was actually supposed to go interview him in California. Gravel. Yeah, that would have been an amazing interview. I tracked him yeah. down. He yeah. was like ninety. He was, you know, he ran for president a couple times. Yeah, he um, it was. I was going to go interview him. I was going to fly down. I had a ticket in March twenty twenty, and to go to California. And it was right when this COVID thing started to blow up. And I was in the Capitol in Juneau, and I talked to him on the phone several times. And he's still with it. You know, he was kind of sick and older. Yeah, but he was, you know, he moved here. It's a fascinating story. He. He was in New York. He was driving a cab. He wanted to be in the government. He figured really? Alaska was a good... That's what happened. He came up here. He was working, kind of hustling, ran for the Senate. He was way behind. To get, you know, Greening was very popular. But he did some... It's, like, fascinating. He did some kind of video, um, like a mini documentary about his life. And he, and he, like, portrayed himself as this kind of heroic, like, moved to Alaska and got in <laughs> business. And it was, like, this 30-minute kind of reel... And they showed it all over Alaska, like in the villages too. They showed it like in the, you know, to all the people. When he was running. Yes. That was like his campaign and he won. He beat, you know, and and then he was there two terms and he, um, he ended up getting beat by Murkowski in 19, 1980, but he was really involved, like pipeline stuff. And then he, he, he read the Pentagon papers into the record. That's right. Yeah. So we've, we've had a weird, I mean, your, your grandfather obviously would have known him and yes. And Ted Stevens, you know, I don't think they got along very well, but. It's an interesting history. It's amazing. So, yeah. so why, what you, now you had worked, you had kind of supported Don in the past and you were a co-chair. Why, and you know, you've you run for the assembly. So you've run before for like local office, but why did you decide to run? Yeah. The- so, so, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been asked by Don to be his co-chair in 2020. He'd called me up, uh, I think it was April or May of that year. And um, we had had the, the same conversation that he had, apparently had with many people around the state. Hey, you know, what are you doing? What are you thinking about doing? Uh, You know, when are you thinking about getting out of office? Are you thinking about getting out of office? Have you thought about uh, who uh, you may want to support after this? 
And um, he said, look, if you want to be in, involved in this campaign, if you want to understand the process, if you're looking for applying for this job at some point, come on board the campaign. And this would be a great opportunity for you to see the process from the inside, travel the state with me. And at that point, Elise Galvin was running a second time. And so um, I said, sure, but Don, I'm not going to do this just sort of part time. I'm going to be full time if I'm going to do this. So I came on full time volunteer, but full time. Mm-hmm. And I worked, you know, 12 to 16 hours a day, every day for from May until November. So, so you, you have some some businesses. Did you take some time off those? or you, I did. Yeah, I did. I have a, a business partner and he had always told me that he wanted to be a CEO. And I said, all right, buddy, here's your chance. And he stepped into the role. He did a great good job. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, he may regret it now. It's a so lot is he still work. this? I mean, he's still, he's, he's been still there running since. it. Yeah. He's still running it. Is this the IT business or the? Yes. So this is, this is the IT business. Um, we've also got a sister company that we call Dashfire. And so uh, Dashfire is actually sort of an offshoot. And what we do is we take equity stakes in a lot of the startups that we work with, because we work with startups all the time, all over the, the country. And tech? Tech? tech. Yeah. Well, not always tech, uh, but always has a tech component. Mm-hmm. And um, so, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, we worked with companies, for example, in the food industry, right? And their product is food. It's not technology, but they've got an e-commerce need or they've got a back or back office ordering system that they've got to use for fulfillment, of uh, their supply chain products as they're coming in. So we'll build custom software for, for companies across industries, whether it be ed tech or fintech or e-commerce, I mean, you, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll build the custom software. And oftentimes when people are getting started, you know, they don't have the, they're not fully capitalized. They're using money from savings. They're using money from friends and family. They've got a small seed round and they need that money to go further, and so we'll help them with that. But then we'll also take some equity stakes take, as a cool, part of it. Take a little yeah. piece of the action. Yeah. Now you're involved. I th- I think if I'm not uh, incorrect, with Mark Begich in the store on the slope, right? Is that are you involved with that? The, the food yeah, store. Yeah, I've got a uh, I've got a minority limited partner position in that in that operation, um, and some others. I've got a uh, mining prospect that my father and I own. A lot of people think my dad is Mark. By the way, no, yeah, yeah, your dad's which, my which, dad is Nick. For the yeah. for the Politico folks, that the you know he was. I think years ago I heard him on it was like Art Bell or one oh of yeah the, you know the yeah he's, he's been on national he's been radio he's been with the, the harp the harp yes stuff and yeah. he wrote the book what angel what is it angels yeah that's it angel, yeah. yeah so that's yeah so yeah so we've we've got a we've got an eclectic family you he, might, he was you might say yeah you probably saw the Vice News thing a couple of years ago I didn't watch it it was great you haven't was seen it? it no oh, I yeah seen no they it. interviewed yeah. him it was it was a great it was a whole thing on him and they came up here and it was like a it's freaking find it on like I YouTube. know he did an interview with Jesse Ventura once. The governor? Yes. Like, just w- for for what? I, I think it had something to do with those topics you were talking about. I tried to get him on the yeah. podcast, by the way. Maybe someday you could. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. Oh, I've yeah. asked. Yeah, I've tried to get yeah. a hold of him. But I don't know. I know your uncle, Tom, and Mark yeah. really well, but I don't, I don't know your dad. He lives here in town. So I, I, I'm i sure. He was, for a while, gonna... he was he was um on this homelessness issue. I was He was calling into the radio. He was working with. Who Dave was Cuddy. It? Dave Cuddy, yeah. yeah. And this was a couple of years ago. They were I, He was all kind of all on the circuit. All doing. over it, yeah. And he was very passionate about that issue, for sure. And it's one that we need to solve here in Anchorage. I mean, we it's so bad. It. I mean, it's a I, major problem. Even this building I'm in, you know, it's... it's. We've made several video documentaries on it, you know. Oh, um, yeah, I've seen your your materials on that. And it just yeah. gets it gets worse, and, and there's a lot of talk, and nothing really changes. You know, it gets, yeah. it gets worse, visibly worse, for sure. I think it's actually just overall worse, and... You know, we, we did the first video in 2019. We spent a lot of time in the camps and talking to folks. And, I mean, they're at Campbell Creek and Chester Creek and, I mean, all over the place. Yeah. And then it just happened to be we were making that video in 2019. This is Anchorage. Folks, you can watch it on YouTube. And we did a follow-up last year. This is still Anchorage. Right. But we're in these camps, and we're, we're talking to folks, and we're downtown, and it's like a fucking war zone. And it's just really like a whole – you can't even imagine what it, what it's like down there until you go. And then it happened to be the homelessness committee for the assembly was having a meeting that week, coincidental, mm-hmm. and we went to it, and it was just fascinating because you're in these camps and you're in these like horrible conditions and people are just like no no water, you know horrible conditions, and then you're in this like air conditioned conference room, people wearing suits and you know dressed up and, and a nice table with like you know water and food, and then some of the things they were saying were like oh we want to put trash cans in the dumpsters in the camps or we want to get like needle receptacles 
like Sharps containers. And you're like, are you, you're, they're so disconnected from yeah. the problem. Yeah. It's, you know, and the problem's so multifaceted. There are innumerable root causes. Oh, there's, there's mental health, there's addiction, there's housing, there's just kind of some bad people. Domestic abuse. Yes. Yeah, so right? There's some just bad yeah. people out there yep. who want to. Yep. And, and unfortunately we just, and you know, this is a more local thing, but the, you know, it's gone through many mayors mm-hmm. going back a long time, yep. many assemblies. And it just doesn't, but really it's gotten pretty bad in the last. Well, and the problem is too, there's no one, one size fits all solution to the problem. You can't say, Hey, if we just take this one action, everything is fixed. It's, That's right. Yeah. It, it doesn't work that way. You've got to, you've got to have a, a deep triage of why people are where they are. Can they be helped? How can they be helped? How, to what extent can they be helped? How do we turn as many of these folks back into productive, happy, fulfilled citizens again? And, uh, and that's it's not, a, it's, it's that's not an just an ongoing challenge. It's not just here. It's nationwide. Yeah, I, mean, it I, yeah. I think, I mean, I don't know if it's the, the majority, um, but, but I think housing plays a, plays a pretty significant factor. I it, mean, it's it, really hard to get into a place in Anchorage right now. Well, uh, we, you know what, we, we, you're right. We don't have, uh, uh, low cost housing options in Anchorage and that's not just true in Anchorage. It's actually true throughout most of the state, even and particularly in rural Alaska. You can see that, uh, some, some of the legislation that's passed recently has been, uh, trying to support additional housing options in the villages, um, because it's it's even more expensive to build out there than it is in Anchorage. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. You know, it's kind of segues into infl- inflation right now, and, and you know, cost of goods, wages are not rising for for the working people. I mean, they're they're going up for you know CEOs and people in the markets because yeah. the markets are doing pretty well. Um, I mean, recently they've actually gone down a little bit, but prices are going up. I mean, forty year high inflation, ten percent. In some cases, you know, when it's cars or energy. Or other, you know, it's twenty percent or thirty percent. That's right. So, and and people's savings are getting wiped out. Their wages aren't able to cover their their, their life. Yeah, that's their- right. In fact, I think it's something like eighteen months in a row we've had real wage declines. That's uh, that's your your wage increase is less inflation, right? So eighteen months in a row, year over year, we've had a declines in real wages. So people are actually making less. They're keeping. Less. Yeah, I mean, if inflation, inflation is ten percent, let's just assume it's ten percent, and you right. and you, you make you get a five percent bump, you're still down five percent. That's right, and that's what's going on, and you're starting to see it show up in uh, sort of the early indicators, sort of canary in the coal mine data, like uh, like used car and a new car payment delinquencies mm-hmm. are starting to rise. So that's having an, an an impact finally in used car prices. Because these vehicles are being repossessed and they're starting to re-enter the market, you're seeing a slowdown in housing as a result of uh, the Fed's dramatic increase in rates. And why are they doing that? Because well, the rate increases yeah. need. To, I mean, that, that should have happened a long time ago. To be honest, I mean, that should have happened many, many years ago. Well, there's a we've couple. Had, we've of, had these like at zero, you know, at near zero, zero yeah. rates for it's, for ten, twenty years. At you know, more than ten years, and it since, creates an asset bubble that. You know, when you get into a situation like this, pops, and you you run the risk of uh, severe repricing. And if you go back to the housing crisis in 2008, 2009, um, you know, once that process starts, it's hard to stop. And uh, we may be entering into that right now. Well, and then, you know, the inflation, and we haven't seen this for, you know, 40 years, but, you know, 70s was kind of the stagnation, the famous, you know, problem where, you know, you have like, supply issues, rising prices, and, and the economy slows down. It's just kind of the worst-case scenario. But, it, you know, I was listening to a really good podcast on the daily on inflation, and there was a good point about um, inflation can become a self-fulfilling prophecy when people think it's going to be here forever. That's right. They start asking for more wages. Prices start going up. More. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a cycle. That's right. And I think we're getting pretty close to the point where people are going to start thinking, wait a minute, this isn't short-term, this is long-term. Yeah. So, well, there's a couple levers that we have to control inflation. Well, there, there are multiple levels, levers, but two primary. One being uh, the Fed funds interest, you know, the interest mm-hmm. rate, but but the other being the money supply. And what we saw with the Fed was they ballooned up a nine trillion dollar balance sheet, and that nine trillion in a couple of years in a couple of years, and that represents new money created, because the Fed doesn't have some sort of nine trillion dollars sitting on the side and they enter the market. They create the money in order to, to grow their own balance sheet. So they injected all this cash into the into the uh, money supply, right? 
And now we have a $9 trillion in excess cash that's floating around out there. So they're starting to use tapering, right, where they start to pull cash out of the market slowly. And they do that by retiring their mortgage-backed securities mm -hmm. and the treasuries that they bought. Um, we'll see if they can maintain that. Well, and, and the overall effect on the economy, you know, when, when you look at this kind of fractionalized reserve banking that we have, you know, you have the deposit percentage. Or if I deposit $1,000, the bank has to hold 10%. Right. They loan out $900. And then that yeah. happens again. So, you know, this new money isn't a, a new dollar created isn't a dollar. It, it, it's a multiplying dollars. That's right. And times a factor of, you know, I think, I guess it's 10 yeah. in, into the money supply, yeah. which we don't have enough. I mean, I think we all know there's not enough cash in the supply to cover the deposits. No, there is I mean, not physical cash, not even close. Not even close. Yeah. So, and if they're ever, I mean, if they have to start printing to cover, you know, if there was a run, then all of a sudden there's a hyperinflation. Yeah. This is like Venezuela's type, type well, stuff. Well, that's right. Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Weimar, Germany. I have so a bookmark. Examples. I think it's in my house, but it's a, I have a $1 trillion, $50, $50 trillion Zimbabwe note. Oh, that's funny you say that. So one Christmas uh, years ago, I bought everybody uh, $5 billion Zimbabwe notes and put them in their stocking. And my son came running up the stairs. In the I'm rich. I'm rich. He said he was rich. He said Santa gave us $5 billion. He said $5 million. He couldn't read all the zeros. And, uh, and I said, it was a good instructive moment where I was able to say, well, that wouldn't get you a cup of coffee. Well, I don't understand why. Well, there was, the, yeah. you know, the, the joke back in, in the Weimar Republic was when there was the hyperinflation was somebody went to go to the grocery store with a, with a wheelbarrow full of money and they came outside and the wheelbarrow was gone. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but the money was there. Yeah. Because it was worthless. I yeah. mean, they were using it to, for few, to burn, you know, for fire. Well, what you see in those countries too, uh, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, they use other currencies. Right. So eventually they abandon their own national currency and they go to the dollar or they yep. go to Bitcoin or they go to some other form of transaction. And, um, and, and or and or they buy they buy things. They buy cars. Right. They buy assets that they can barter with will hold the value. Yeah. Yeah. Because you never know. I mean, I mean, it's just it's really, really, you know. Well, this is what happens when, yeah, the, right when the government uh, steps in and starts monkeying with the with the monetary levers. You're going to get a lot of unintended consequences, bullwhip effects throughout the economy. You know, all, what happened was the gut, those, you know, making these, these decisions, the policymakers, they said, look, the economy is slowing down due to what we're doing in response to coronavirus. So they, they were rolling shutdowns. We all remember throughout the, the country. What happens is mon, there's, a, there's a factor called monetary velocity, and monetary velocity measures the speed with which money moves through the economy. And monetary velocity fell off a cliff. And they said, wow, we better pump some stimulus into the economy in order to uh, assure that money continues to flow. Well, okay, that works for a little while. But when monetary velocity turns back up, now you have all this excess cash and it's competing for the same number of goods and services that existed before. All well, this and, and then it was exacerbated with a supply issue. That's true. So, so there, yeah. there, there's, there's demand up for people at home. They want things. I, mean, I remember I was trying to buy a little... Um, webcam. Yeah. And I couldn't find anything. Anything electronic, anything, the exercise equipment got really tough to find because everyone had time on their hands and they're all working from home. They said, Hey, this is my chance to get in shape. You couldn't buy an electric bike. You couldn't buy anything. That was I mean, really even yeah. monitors. I remember certain, just anything electronic was, yep. was six months a year. And then the prices go up. Oh yeah. And we're still dealing with that right now with the supply. I mean, I, I just listened to a, a podcast about, Oh, this company, what, oh, I forget what they make. It was some kind of like equipment, factory equipment. Um, or farming equipment, and and they're 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 going through the roof. The the the, the orders are crazy, and this one piece of equipment. Uh, what I think it was the daily I was listening to. It was like one piece is like it's like you know one piece of equipment is like a thousand parts. Well, they can't find three parts. You can't make part. it without. So, the three. so they have these yeah. back orders, and they have you know they can't find workers too. Yep. And which is an interesting thing with the the you know this probably goes back to the inflation. You're not going to work unless you're going to make a wage you think is going to you know, be worth working. And I mean, I, I talk to people from the people who do, I'm on my condo board, mm -hmm. our, our maintenance people who do our summer and winter maintenance yeah. to really professional, you know, white collar stuff. People are having a real hard time finding workers for all segments of the economy. Yeah. You know, it's, there's, I'm, I'm trying to kind of wrap my mind about why people, right. there's people that yeah. want to work. I yeah. know, I know there's people that are looking for work. Yeah. Well, you know, what's really fascinating about this is I've traveled the state and I've traveled all over the place. And I was down in Haines, right? 
And I asked. Love Haynes. Beer, beer, Haynes the, 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 the is one of my brew, favorite, brew, brew favorite spots in Alaska. It's a great, great spot. If, for folks listening, if you haven't been to Haynes, you should you should definitely make a trip down there. Good, yeah. Um, but even in Haynes, they were having trouble finding people. Now, what's interesting to me about that is that you've got kind of a relatively uh, contained population of people, right? They're not, yes, some people work in Juneau, some people working at the mines, right? But they're they're relatively contained community. Why is it that they're having the same labor shortage challenges that everyone else is having? And uh, I think to your point, there's a one contributing factor is that people say, look, I, if I'm not making enough money, I'm not going to work. I think another factor is maybe some of the government programs that were spun up, particularly during COVID, mm-hmm. sort of encouraged some folks, you know, that they've actually made more money staying at home. Now, a lot of those things have wound down. So you would have expected the effects of that to have wound down. A lot of the savings that was accumulated during the, the uh, coronavirus Years. That's been wiped out. It's, it's been, been wiped, wiped out. out yeah. You see it in consumer credit card data. Actually, people are starting to to run up their credit cards again, and so I think we're going to hit a sort of a financial wall soon, where the stimulus savings have run out, the credit has run out, and people who may have been sitting on the sidelines will have to come back into the labor force. But then we've also got on the other side early retirements. A lot of people were sort of at the edge. You had, you had a lot of. I just, I just watched yeah. on NBC a few nights ago. They're trying to raise the, which they should do. The the retirement age for pilots is sixty four, sixty five. Yeah, and they want to go to sixty seven or sixty eight because there is not enough new pilots, and they're no. and they're retiring a lot of new. A lot of pilots are hitting sixty five. Like I forget the number, but it's some huge percentage of pilots in the next year are going to turn sixty five. Yeah, it's air, air, commercial commercial airline yeah, pilots. Yeah, and my father in law was a pilot. He retired at sixty, and then a couple of years later, they changed the retirement age to sixty five. And uh, even judges in Alaska, yeah. you know, and federally it's it's unlimited, but it's seventy here, and you have to force retirement at seventy. It's in the Constitution, but a lot of the judges when they when they when they're off the bench, they come back and do con- you know contract work, because oh, there's a yeah. backlog, so they can come back and work like contract. But there there's so many segments of um, you know t- right now. I just I just there's been some talk in Alaska where we're you know it's like twenty twenty or twenty. There's a huge vacancy for, among state workers. State, state state positions right well part of the challenge too is as we as we have an uh, nationwide we have an aging uh baby boomer population and a lot of these folks are retiring but uh you know they're leaving the workforce one way or the other whether whether they're early retirements or regular retirements but uh they're still here right and so you have a smaller population serving a larger population of people Right. Well, this is this is why there's a great book I read last year. My book club, one one billion Americans, by this guy Matthew Iglesias, and and he argues, and I totally agree. Through through incentives for childcare and and you know basically having more kids and immigration, you know we need to do some major shifts in how we um, incentivize immigration and and babies because it's not good. I mean, in, no, in thirty you... or forty years, even maybe in twenty years, I mean we we have. All these retirees, Social Security. I mean, I think fifty or sixty years ago it was like thirty to one. Now it's like three to one. Right. There's a, there's actually a, a major demographic crisis uh, that's occurring. It's it's been occurring in Europe for a while. Um, it's been occurring in China for quite some time. Um, but in the United States, uh, through uh, smart immigration policies, um, we've been able to sort of maintain uh, a replacement rate of our population. Um, but the fertility rate. Uh, is actually falling in the United States. And if we cannot uh, ensure that we are able to at least maintain our population size, programs like Social Security and Medicare uh, start to collapse. Well, it's, it's you know, I don't, I don't have kids. You have, you have a kid, a right? A 10-year-old, yep. One. So I have a lot of friends yeah. with, with kids and even friends who make a lot of money. I mean, the, the, the cost of child care is crazy. And, and there's... It really, especially in Alaska, it's, it's unbelievable. $1,000 a month or something. Yeah, that's right. That's and, and, or more. And I think there's a role of government there to, 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 to make it more, to do something about that. Because if, if, if it was not so burdensome to have children, more people would have, would have, I lived in Australia for a year and, and they have a, um, a policy where if you have a kid, you get a year off work, mm-hmm. they pay you. It's not your, it's like a certain level of wage. It's not, if you're making a lot of money, you're not going to get that, but they have to hold your job. And I have a you know friend there, he's an electrician, his wife's a teacher. They've had their third kid now. And, you know, the, the, the insurance, it's kind of a single payer system. It's hybrid. Yeah. But they don't, you know, there was no money to have the kid. The little bit taxes are high, the 2% Medicare levy. But, you know, they, they love it because they can, you can take a year off work, stay home with the kid, go back to work, get some money. And then they, ha- you know. Well, you know, I'm, I've always said uh, kids need parents. Yes. You know, they got to be around, you know. And um, 
you know, I think a lot of the problems that we have in this country is that we've, we've gotten to a point where, you know, many, many, many households out there feel like they've got to have two working people, right, in the house. And it's tough when you've got kids and you're trying to have a family and you're both working. I mean, that's, that's a difficult thing. I think one of the things that government could do, um, and this is a state issue, but, uh, you know, increasing the number of, of children that, that can be supervised during preschool, you know, mm-hmm. you know, there's a certain ratios that are set and they're, they're for good reason, but l- taking a look at those ratios and seeing if there's anything that can be done there, because, um, that drives a lot of the cost associated with it is you've got a staffing requirement that's a certain level. And so that's a piece of it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that could be done, but I mean, this goes back to, you know, if, if you win this race and you're in the Congress, everything's so divided now. It is. It's not, very not, divided. Not, not much yeah. happens. I mean, there's, you know, I, I guess the Senate just passed this thing. Joe Manchin kind of made a deal on this kind of build back better light plan. On, yeah. on, you know, it's like 400 billion. What do they call it? The inflation reduction act. Yeah. I think it's some Which climate, climate yeah. stuff and there's some other things in there and there's some, I think they're trying to, maybe that's separate. They're trying to do a new semiconductor thing now because of this Taiwan situation. That's the and chips act. They're real, they're real yeah. worried about, I mean, this yeah. is a pro, if, if, if China well, moves on Taiwan yeah. and those, cause they make all these, these, uh, huge portion of the world's semiconductors yeah, are, are these manufactured chips. in Taiwan and there's not nearly enough domestic supply. And this is why I think it's going to take years because it took years to, to migrate offshore into China predominantly. Um, but the manufacturing base for, particularly for, uh, those critical components that we have to have like chipsets. We need to we need to strategically move as much of that back into our borders, I mean, or you, can, at least among allies, reliable allies. Can you believe where? I mean, Nancy Pelosi wants to go to Taiwan, and Biden just talked to Xi, President Xi, in China, who it's it sounds like is basically saying, "Don't go, don't mess with us." How can like that's crazy that somebody in our government can't go to Taiwan without yeah. worrying about what China is? How they're going? It's true. I mean, they 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 have a ton of military and economic power. They've invested quite a bit of money uh, to build up their military, particularly their um, ocean-going fleet. Oh, yeah. No, right? their, their Navy is, it's, it's, uh, they have carrier, aircraft carriers. And, and they've invested in asymmetric warfare weaponry, right? Things that like hypersonic uh, missile technology and other torpedo technology that is, um, it creates an asymmetric advantage in many uh, environments. And we have to be able to keep up with that. You know, we have to be able to keep up with that. But it's intended to assert a diff, uh, dominance in uh, the Asia-Pacific region. And, you know, this was sort of that entire pivot to Asia, recognizing that, you know, we've got to get out of the Middle East and start focusing on where, you know, threats are relative to our way of life. I mean, everybody, you know, I've been saying this for a long time, especially since this Russia thing in Ukraine, but... I mean, I don't think it's going to be anything in Europe or Russia that's going to kick anything off. It's going to be Taiwan. Taiwan yeah. is where, because that goes down, you know, Russia, um, Pakistan, they're going to ally with China. You're going to have Europe, you know, on the, I mean, India. I mean, you're going to have all these, like, it's that, that, that Taiwan situation is, I don't think people really appreciate just how, how fragile and dangerous that Taiwan situation is. Well, it is. And, and this is, it wouldn't be, to, to your earlier point, it wouldn't be nearly as problematic for us uh, if we weren't so reliant on Taiwan. Well, we, we don't have, it's not really a treaty, but there's this Taiwan relation. I think it's Taiwan relations act or something. It's, yep. it's not quite a treaty, but I mean, essentially we we've said not officially in a treaty, but it's close. If they get, if China moves on Taiwan, we're going to come to the rescue. And right. if we don't think about that, That's think about the message. message that sense. That's right. Like, just like with Crimea. I mean, I'm not saying we should have reacted with Crimea, but when that happened, Russia knew, hey, we, we got, I mean, I went to Crimea a year, a year after, not even a year after that happened. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. And it was totally, I flew into Moscow and then I, it was actually after that thing got shot, that plane got shot down in Ukraine. Yes. So I was, I was, I bought a ticket for like $150 round trip, Moscow, Simferopol, Crimea. Oh, wow. And I was kind of like, are we flying over? Uh, but it, it, it went around Ukraine. Oh, it did. Okay. But it was like, I mean, I was there in, let's see, December, January 15th. I was there not even a year after the referendum. And it was like, it was wild. Like when you land all the immigration booths, you yeah. know, they were just like pushed to the side. Yeah. All the numbers got changed to the Russian prefix. Really? The, the menus for the f- restaurants, they were all scratched off with Russian prices. They were all using the, I mean, it was Google. like fast. Yeah. Wow. And and most people with some exceptions, like I talked to some, some, some ethnic Tatars that weren't, you know, thrilled about it, but most people were actually supportive because 
there was this thing in Donbass going on next door, which was a full-on war. Right. And they didn't want that. But there was really, other than people condemning it or whatever, oh, it's horrible. I mean, there was really no reaction. Well, it's really, you know, it's amazing in this day and age to see a, a, another war erupt in Europe, you know. And I, I think you got to go back to um, some of the actions that the United States has taken or not taken since the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, we have, uh, we assured we wouldn't expand NATO. We did. Um, we sort of dangled NATO membership out to the Ukraine. Which, which, which I've said yeah. is, is a, 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 I think, a, a big reason. I'm not, it's not an excuse, but when the Soviet Union broke up, you know, NATO's since then expanded to, I think, 14 more countries. You know, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. I mean, countries that border Poland. I mean, these are, if I'm Russia, I'm not, again, saying this is an excuse, but you're looking at that like, wait a minute. I thought we were like, everything was over. And now right, you're encroaching right. on our border. And this is, you know, we, we have to be honest about U.S. foreign policy's uh, impact around the world. A lot of times we have uh, a level of uh, responsibility because of our willingness to interfere in international relations in these ways. And, uh, you know, I think it's not, it's not any, any big secret. You know, Russia um, and the Ukraine tend to have certain levels of corruption that occur. Ukraine famously. Oh, I've, I've right. spent a lot of time in Ukraine. Epic. Epic. I mean, Russia's yeah. corrupt for, for sure, but Ukraine has kind of epic levels of Unbelievable. corruption going and on. Th- I mean, you know, folks may not want to hear this, but we have to be honest about um, – you know, Hunter Biden, right? What does Hunter Biden know about energy? What does Hunter Biden know about the Ukraine? I mean, he was over there with, uh, what's the company? Um, oh, my God, the Ukraine, Ukrainian gas company. I mean, what was it 50, 50 grand a month? I think it was 80. You know, and yeah, then the, it was what, a lot. What was that company? I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of that company. Um, I'll think of it in a second. But, and, and, and you know, what, I, I, when this whole thing started in March and then the, the money and the weapons started, I, I just tweeted out and I got people freaked out. I just said, I'm just, I just said, curious, who's checking that all of this equipment is going to the right. I mean, I assume most right. of the yeah, they're fighting and I, and yeah. what Russia's doing is wrong. I, I got to say it's, it's, well, it's a horrible situation. Of course it is. Who's yes. making sure that if a hundred stinger, you know, if, if a hundred javelins show up, four or five don't go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, we had this who's, problem who's checking that? in the eighties when the uh, U.S. was funding the Mujahideen against the Soviets as they came into operation. That's, that's Charlie, yeah. Charlie Wilson. Yeah. I mean, those, you know, those the, stinger missiles ended up all over the place. Right. So this does happen. I mean, it's, it's in a, in the fog of war, you bet. And, you know, we've got to make sure that those things I mean, op- are... Operation Cyclone, I think, ended up being a billion dollars to the Mujahideen, to Bin Laden. Right. You know, and they were fighting our enemies, the Russians. But, but yeah, this stuff this stuff came back, you know? I mean, it bit us. Big, and even uh, Saddam Hussein, was. there's a famous picture of Rumsfeld, you know, and hanging out with, you know, Saddam Hussein because they were fighting the Iranians. That's right. Yeah, it's... You know, I, I think w- we need to be focused uh, a little bit more on domestic issues. You know, I think that oftentimes when we get involved unnecessarily at, un- at these levels internationally, we create sometimes more problems than we're solving. I mean, I, I agree with that. I, I do think we do have some role of, you know, kind of, I don't want to say the moral police, but just, you know, we're, we're, you know, people want to come here and people, we, we, we're they do. Beacon, we're very prosperous. I, I think it's, yeah. it's nothing wrong with us you know, expressing or showing that. And I mean, I, I go back to, you know, I was born in 84, but you know, you, you look back and you just think maybe it's nostalgic, but I mean, Reagan, you know, there, there was just the way he spoke and, and the way, you know, I think he dealt with the Russians and Gorbachev. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a, a hope driven message. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and he had, he had great aspirations for the future. He had great belief in the human spirit and in the power of freedom and liberty and giving people maximum ability to make decisions on their own in their lives. And he inspired a nation and he inspired people outside of our nation. Uh, I don't think we've seen sort of that level of inspiration for a while. That was unique. And, and that's, um, I hope it's not a bygone era for the United States. I do, I do too, because, um, you know, right now, I hate to say this, but I just don't have a great, feeling or optimism for, for the, the, the future. And I mean, I, I hope that I'm wrong, but it just well, seems seem things very unstable. Seem, well, part of that seem very unstable and, and, and not. Yeah. Great. I, I think, I think part of that, um, it comes from what we value. You know, I, I had many conversations with Don Young, many conversations. One of the things that he said to me one time that has just stuck with me is, you know, we, we were talking about, uh, 
some of the more bombastic members of Congress. Okay. And he said, Oh, I'm not upset with those people. And I said, well, why not? You know, they're doing this or doing that. He said, well, I'm not upset with them. I'm upset with the people that put them there. These people are a reflection of us. Yeah, it's true. And in many respects, in every respect, the government that we have is the government that we put in place. And these people are a reflection of us. So I, I look then and I say, well, what are the things that we value? You know, for those out, out there listening that have made it this far on this podcast, you know, you're, you're looking at uh, if you've ever been up late at night, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and you've got Instagram reels. Oh, I've been there. Oh, yeah, you've I, been there. I, I, an hour I, I or two a, goes by. And I, I know. Like, all of a sudden, oh I'm gosh. like, what the fuck did I just watch for an hour? <laughs> it's gone. Because they're these 30 gone. second things, and then they become more interesting, and then yeah. weirder. Yeah. And so, if you've ever been caught in that loop, you, you start to understand my gosh, they've become experts at stealing my time and getting my attention, right? This is where we spend our excess time. You leave work, you come home, you turn on the TV, you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. You've been captured by the machine, and this is how you spend your energy. You know, we don't read books anymore. That doesn't happen very often. I, I get my book club. That's why, well, that's that's why, that's that's why, why I started the book have. club, because yeah. I wanted to – actually, this current book I just started reading here. It's, uh, oh, what's that? It's, uh, the Rise of the New Puritans by Noah Rothman. It's basically about how the, how the kind of the woke people uh, d- don't – they hate comedy, and, and they want to not let people laugh. Laughter is important for the soul. I got to tell you, if you can't laugh, if you can't laugh at yourself, especially in this role, I can tell you. I mean, there's so many yeah. comedians now who won't even go to colleges anymore, like you know Bill Maher, Larry the Cable Guy. Right. Um, it, it's not. It's not. You know, left or right. It's just they don't want it because there's, there's this kind of censorship, or you can't say things, or you can't tell certain jokes, and. I remember going to college and, and people would people would come around campus and they'd, they'd say all kinds of crazy things. And it was a bastion of free speech that you didn't have to stand there and listen to them. But they'd let anybody come on campus and talk, whether they were asking permission or not. It's, it's kind of like if you go back to the, the, the Jerry Falwell, the moral majority, at that point when, you know, the conservatives were, were the religious right was really trying to censor people or or – dictate how people, you know, think or what they say. People hated that. Now it's bizarrely enough gone to the, the, the kind of the woke left where they want to dictate what you say or think or not say. And it's it's really kind of wild that, well, that these institutions that used to proclaim, Berkeley, for example, proclaim free speech, yeah. they, they, they have riots and they, they try to shut down Ben Shapiro or somebody for coming to give a speech. Right. Well, and, and this is... This is what's so crazy. When you talk about uh, the way in which, getting back to the point you made earlier, but the way in which the country is so divided right now, um, you know, you've seen hard left sort of hijack the Democrat Party, my opinion. And, oh, no, that, that, that's, that's true. You know, and... Uh, Just like the hard right's done it to the Republican Party. Well, and, and this is the thing. We've got, to get, we've got to get back to a place where we can find some common ground. We have to. We have to. There are things we still agree on. And we can find that common ground. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're representing Alaska, I know there are candidates in this race that have said they wouldn't be willing to work with anybody on the other side of an issue, but, you know, you have to. Well, that's a question I wanted to ask you. I mean, and I asked, I asked Sarah Palin this. If, if you win and the Republicans take back the House and the Senate, which I think is the House for sure, the Senate's likely, um, Biden's still going to be the president. You know, we have this gas line situation right now in Alaska, mm-hmm. which could, Big be, opportunity. I mean, that could huge. be a huge, it's been 50 years talked about and now maybe you know with all this situation situation in Russia and the and the price of gas going up but also there's willow there's all these different you know and you can't do that without working hey, with the federal government you know the, look, the executive branch the modern alaska was built on the pipeline the pfd was built on the pipeline we don't have any of this today if we don't have oil flowing through that pipeline so you know what are we going to have in the next 50 years we got to build that gas line if the market's right the window of opportunity is there, and it financially pencils. It needs to be done, and that's our future, right? People talk about our state model, north to the future. Well, we got to make sure we have one. Yeah, you know, and uh, this is a huge window of opportunity. These things don't come around, but every ten, twenty, thirty years, these windows of opportunity in the gas markets, and it's such a large project. You know, it's difficult well, it's, to finance. It's, it's we've, this has been talked about for decades. And, and, and this is one of the reasons I'm not super optimistic. I mean, in, in our state, we, we look at 
so many things that, that don't happen. I mean, I think that Kabata bridge should have been built 10 years ago. Oh you know? yeah. That should yeah. have been, I mean, the, the well, were, we had, we had a lot of money set aside for it. Right. Palin decided in a, in a moment of political expediency. It was funded. I mean, it was funded. It. Yeah. It was even, ready even to now, go. I think it cost a billion dollars. I mean, I think we should, we should take, take money. We should leverage against the permanent fund and bond out and build. I mean, if, the, if that bridge got built over there, think of the housing crisis we have. Think oh, of it's the a game m- number changer. of houses. Yeah. 10 minute drive. Here's, right. here's part of the problem, too, and I, just to, to, to take your point and go a little bit deeper, what, what we've lost in the state that we used to have a lot of is big thinkers. That's exactly we, 100% right. Yeah. We used to have people that would propose things like running a water pipeline to California. Wally right? Hickel. I loved he it. He wanted to do a fucking undersea train to Russia. Yes. These are big. These Look. If you've traveled outside of Alaska for more than a couple of weeks, you'll see there's giant, giant uh, public works projects. Even, and, even Seattle, I was there last year. Yeah. And, and Seattle's got a lot of problems, homelessness, you know, because very, this defund the police nonsense, you know. But there's like, there's cranes and, and there's it's like, unreal. the whole downtown yeah. is being like redone. Everywhere yeah. you, every time you turn a corner, there's a crane, there's a big new building going up. Well, I'll tell you one, one thing, again, traveling the state, we we go over to Kodiak. You've been over to Kodiak. You know, I've actually never been. I I it's on my list because I I'm actually know Louis Stutes pretty well. Okay, my, well my, they, my, they my, got it when you're when you're coming out of the airport and you're coming into town. They got a giant crane, huge. Okay, we don't have anything like that anywhere else in the state. You go down to Seattle and you go down to the port of Tacoma down there. Oh yeah, they they're, have these cranes all over the place, everywhere, well, everywhere. I mean, I've been I moved here in '04 and you know I remember when your when your uncle was was mayor even. If, from that, the, from then to now, everybody talks about revitalizing downtown. Yeah, I mean downtown doesn't look too revitalized to me. It's it just everybody talks about it. Another another one is the Juno Road. I mean, this was funded and done, and, That's wa- right. and Walker killed that. He killed it because yeah. there's just kind of and this goes back to this bridge to Kinnick Arm. Mm-hmm. There's people, property owners, connected people. They don't want to see things change with the values of their property, maybe. Now in Juno, there's this kind of nostalgic group of tier one retirees that are millionaires, and they don't want a bunch of new people coming to Juno, so they killed that. That was a funded project, approved, permitted, good to go. Yeah, they would have gone basically the road would have gone right near Haines. It would have taken huge pressure off the ferry because you could you could drive almost to take a little ferry across the way. Right. Um, Pika is a state oil field on a on state land, unbelievable, which has been ten years, yeah. and we can't do that. You know, I mean, this, this. You can't look. You can't talk about the private sector and growing Alaska's economy if you're not willing to, to do some things, right? And I think one of the challenges, and, and and I think one of the opportunities in this particular race, I come from the private side. I spent my career in business, right? And I think when we talk about the portfolio of representation that we have, I I, I believe we have four ambassadors for Alaska. We have the governor, our two senators, and our House member, and. Uh, I think it's helpful to have some people that come from government in those roles. I think it's helpful to have some people that come from the private sector in those roles too. Because if we're going to represent uh, the business case for this state in D.C., in other words, why are we doing the work in Alaska? Why shouldn't we do it just somewhere else? Well, there's good reasons to do it in Alaska. We have a great environmental track record. We have incredible world-class resources. You know, we've got a, we've got a, a solid trained workforce Right, we've got a lot of things going for us, but we've got to have an articulate and persuasive voice in the house that can work with not just one side of the aisle, but well, you're right because if you look at you know for a long time there was Ted Stevens, and then there was Don Young for you know a long time, and you know we only have seven hundred thousand people, or most most people I I think it's such a big state that's people know Alaska is this huge state, but people in D.C. don't give a shit. I mean, seven hundred thousand people, nobody like what what does it matter? There's two three electoral votes. No one gives a shit. But when you have people that, that Murkowski is a great example. I mean, she's hooked in with Manchin and has a relationship with, you know, the Biden administration. We look at this infrastructure money. I mean, people can complain about all different, and there's plenty of things to be critical about of anybody. Right. But, the, the, you know, if we don't have some relationship with the people that make these decisions, no one really gives a shit. I mean, no, when it comes to energy, yes, we have that, you know, going for us, but... It's such a small population that it really, we're not in New York or Florida or California. We don't wield that level of influence. I mean, California's got over 50 representatives in the House. Yeah, they have a huge, I mean, it's it's wild how much. <laughs> I mean, they're, I mean, they, I think they're, they're the more tenth, than 10% of the House. I think they're the 10th, California is like, I think it's ninth or 10th biggest economy in the world. I mean, they could be like their own, situ- they could be their own country. Yeah. And they'd be, they'd be fine. Yeah. 
And that's what uh, that's what made what Don did so unique is that he was able to build a level of influence in the house over a very long career that made an actual difference for Alaska. And we're going to have to do it again. You know, we're going to have to do it again. It's going to take time. I'm not suggest for myself. I'm not I'm not telling you I'm going to be there 49 years. I'm 44, so that would pretty old. That would put me per- <laughs> unless there's been some pretty incredible <laughs> advances in medical science. I'm not sure that that's going to work well, but you're in, you know, you're in your 90s. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh you know that 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 would be a stretch, but we do need we do need to rebuild that seniority. Um, you know, as we think about who's in the race, you know, that's age has become a factor because how do you do it? It takes over twenty years typically for a house member to chair a committee. On average, for the first time, they start chairing a committee. So that's so crazy because in Juno, I mean, if you're savvy and smart, you can you know, in depending on organization, you can be a a freshman. Yeah, and if you, if you're in the right situation, you can you can chair a powerful committee. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not the way DC traditionally works. I think there are some Republicans in the house that would like to change that. And they're working to change that to be more meritocratous than, uh, than tenure based only, but the system is what it is for now. And we've got to make sure that we have, you know, if we're, if we're putting in a new rep, they're going to have to have enough actuarial runway to be able to, to build influence again. So, so we got this special uh, general coming up, the three of you, Palin, Peltola, and you. And then there's the regular primary and the same ballot. Which That's right. Kind of, kind, of, kind of kooky. Yeah. Um, whoever wins the special general um, is also for sure going to be on the regular general. And this happened to, to Don Young. If that same person wins the regular election, they have a little bit of a bump in seniority over, it could be 50 new members. That's right. Which, yeah. which is not insignificant. Could be, could be more than 50. It could be a lot. I mean, you know, be a lot because of, there's a lot of people be, aren't running even. A lot that's of right. Are just not, I not. think there's something like, I could be wrong on this number, and someone's going to fact check me on this, but I think there's something like 50 uh, people that have chosen not to rerun for office. Yeah, I don't know. About the, it's high. I, I know and, the number is high. Yeah, and so whatever that number is, plus those that are going to turn over through natural you know, win-loss. And this happened to Don Young. This happened to him. He won the special. That's right. And then he had that little bump. Yeah, it, you know, even if it's one day. Yeah. Even if it's hours, you're technically more senior for the rest of your career than the others that came in after you did. I'll never forget, I was at, this is like, I don't know, years ago. It was not long after Dan Sullivan won. He was telling the story to some people that he he got in there and it, he was like brand new. And at that time there was, I think, I don't know, you know 15 new brand new senators. And so... They elected the same time, so they're all at the bottom. So then they go by, you know, were you a governor or um, were you in the Congress before? Were you a governor or something? And then, you know, then there was a few. After that, there was a few more left. Yeah. And then, like, three or four more left. And then they go, oh, well, then now it's by – then it goes by size of state. And he's like, oh, great. Like, I'm in. <laughs> they were like, no, Dan, population. Oh, so he no. was literally – like, That's when he terrible. first got in there, he was 100 of 100. Now oh, he's, man. he's gone yeah, up. but. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like he was all excited because, you know, size of state, oh, great, <laughs> I'm in. I'm not the bottom. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a big opportunity, actually, for the state of Alaska to rebuild seniority right out of the gate uh, because of the point you raise. You know, if we elect the same person twice, you know, they'll have some seniority there. Um, and they may be ahead of 10 20% of the House. So how are you feeling? I mean, I think I'm sure you probably agree. Paltola is the only Democrat, so she's probably on the first round going to get the most amount of votes because about 40% of the population, you know, is kind of progressive or center that's, left. That's what the data appears to show. Yeah. So and I think that's probably true. So then you and, and I think Ivan Moore just came out with a poll that showed it extremely close, but you a little bit ahead. Yeah. Uh, by like not even a point. But then what's going to have to happen is whoever votes for you first or Palin first is going to have to vote for the other one second. Right. To get enough, you know extra votes to go which is this new system and it's so it's like easy to grasp but when you start talking about it it becomes almost like harder to grasp it it does because it's some very, people aren't going to vote for a second person there will be a lot of people who don't and there are people that i talk to on a regular basis who simply won't some people say i'm voting for one i don't care some people say i'm voting for these two but i don't you know i'm not going to put a third down what's this new thing rank the red have you heard this oh yeah this yeah that's new. that's coming from the republican party yeah i've heard i've yep. heard that a little that's bit that's their that's their approach or they, somebody saying bubble the blue <laughs> oh i haven't heard that one, one. <laughs> that's a new one uh yeah in this case there's only one so you know you know i think at the end of the day we're running an experiment this is what this is 
Well, I mean, what's it like? I mean, it's it's such it must be frustrating because I've run for office before and I haven't won, but I've I kind of knew what I was getting into, and now this is totally uncharted. It, it's totally uncharted, and and part of the you know when you talk about the mechanics of of you know how people run and positions they emphasize and other things, um, you know, people say, well, what's the strategy? Well, it just depends on what race you're in. I think there's no one rule about how to run in a ranked choice voting environment. My rule, though, has been from the beginning, be myself. If the people of Alaska want me, great. You know, mm-hmm. but I, I think that when you try to overthink it and you try to be too many things to too many people, that's when you you make a mistake. You know, is just it, just be you. Is it and what's it like being in the race with? I mean, Sarah Palin. She's just kind of this larger than life, kind of internationally known person who's you know good or bad. People love her, hate her. I mean, everybody kind of knows her. And I'm sure you've, you were around when she was running for vice oh, president. Oh, I was. So yeah, sure. Did you ever think you were going to yeah. be in a No, race that did not her? enter my mind. But, you know, it, like I said just a second ago, you know, I'm just me. I'm just going to be me. And I'm not worried about who's around me. I'm not really focused on, you know, looking over my shoulder. I was a cross country runner in high school, and you look at the person in front and you just keep running. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're in front, just keep running. Don't look behind. It never helps you to look look over your shoulder back at Palin and say, "Oh, what's she doing back there?" If you're just, really in front, you can maybe maybe lap somebody. You know, some, <laughs> that's sometimes. right. Yeah, it had and, and it did happen once in a while. I'd lap somebody, but uh, no, you know, you focus on your own race and uh, you do the things that you that you do. You talk to the people. We're out every day. You know, a lot of these folks, I don't know where they are, but uh, you know, it, it doesn't appear as if people are campaigning on a daily basis. We go out every single day, meet Alaskans where they are. And hear their concerns. As Don, yes. Don used to tell me, look, we're a big state. You know, you can't represent the people of Alaska if you don't go meet them where they are. And that's what we do. I saw Truman, your campaign manager, when I was coming back from Juneau. He was sitting next to me or in front of me. And then you guys were in, I guess it was Petersburg or something. I didn't even know about it. I would have gone. There was like a Norwegian festival. Oh, it was or... awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so many things. I didn't even know learned. about it. Yeah. I, heard, I heard it was like a good, fun thing. Yeah, the Little Norway Festival. It's awesome. And uh, I think Bert Stedman was probably there. Was he there for that? He was there. Yeah, I he's, saw him down the, there. He was there. He's uh, got the very Scandinavian kind of yes. thing going on. Yeah, he was there. Uh, you know, it was interesting. We were we were in a parade, and uh, I was there with the mayor, Mark Jensen, and who's supporting me. And we were we were in, his, in the back of his truck, and we were, you know, handing out candy and doing the parade. And I hear this voice, and, hey, Nick. I look down. It's Al Gross. He's from Petersburg. Yeah, he, he, he's from there, right? But he wasn't in the parade. So he was watching me go by in the, in the parade in, in Petersburg, which is kind of fun. This when he was this when he was still in the race. That's right, yeah. And uh, But Petersburg is a beautiful town. If, if for, Again, we were talking about Haynes a while ago, but if you haven't been to Petersburg, I highly recommend it too. It's got its own unique culture, beautiful fishing community. It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun down there. Yeah, a I mean, lot of Norwegian influence, obviously. There's so many nice places in Southeast that I think a lot of people – all over Alaska. I mean, you don't go to other parts of Alaska. I, I lived in Skagway for a little bit. I spent a lot of time in Juneau, and there, there's it's a whole different kind of Alaska. It is. It, it you know it's it's almost like we're several states or even a couple of different countries jammed into one, and that's mm-hmm. what makes uh, representing the state of Alaska again, whether you're the governor or one of the senators or the House member, uh, such an important job and such a challenging job too, because you've got to balance so many different constituencies and all their competing interests and and divisions for the state. And do your best to unify that, and then pre- present a unified front when you go down as a team in D.C. Yeah, I mean, we're one of a handful of states. I think Wyoming's the other one with Liz Cheney with one representative. I think there might be one more, one or two more, but maybe one of the Dakotas or. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we have, you know, this massive state with. Yeah. It's interesting when there's one rep compared to two. I mean, most California fifty reps or whatever, two senators or right. You know, a lot of twenty states have thirty, twenty, thirty reps, two senators. We have two senators, one rep. <laughs> That's right. In some ways, it almost makes the job on the House side more important than a Senate job. I know Don felt that way because he knew that there was nothing that was going to move through the House if he didn't have a stamp on mm-hmm. it for Alaska. Uh, la- last thing I'll ask you is uh, if, if you win, Don was known for having this epic, massive office, the, probably the best office in the House. I think the winner of this will get that for a little bit, right? They'll, they'll keep his I, old maybe, office. I don't know. But then I, after that, yeah. I think you go. you're probably going to go to... I'm sure it'd be in the basement. Pretty, pretty small. Yeah. For, well, who knows? See, here's the thing. This is where the seniority kicks in. So, That's right. If Yeah, you'll get a little bit. So maybe bump, instead of a broom closet, you get the conference room or something. But it's uh, it's still going to be small. I think Alaska's going to recognize right out of the gate, whoever's down there, it's going to it's gonna be a while to rebuild that seniority. Mm-hmm. But uh, Don, 
huge shoes to fill, tough, tough person to replace. There'll never be another one like him. We know that. Um, well, he was, I've had him on the podcast a few times and the thing that I'll never forget was, it was 2018, I guess it was a while ago, but I asked him about, um, what was I talking? Oh, the Watergate with Nixon. Cause he, yeah. he had been there when Nixon, he got elected when Nixon was president. That's right. Yeah. And he was telling, he had this, what was her name? Murph, Murphy. I think it was her press, his press, press secretary okay. or younger. She was newer and she was in the room and his, his wife, Anne was in the room and we're talking about Watergate and, and he was. He was saying, "Well, if Nixon were to listen to me, he would have been fine." And I said, "Well, what?" And I said, "Well, what, what did you say?" And he said, "I said, Mr. President, burn the goddamn tapes." Oh my god! He said that on the podcast, and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is really not. I mean, it's great for the podcast, but this is like not good. No one even cared. Like, if any, could you imagine if anybody else said that? Burn the goddamn no. tapes. Just, just like, I mean, uh, different I love, level I, of, yeah. of character. Amazing. Well, look, and I, and I, here, do, here's and I do thing. believe he said that. I, here's the I, thing, I though. He that. Here's the thing, though. Very important. Very important for people to understand. While there, while there will never be another Don Young, there has to be another voice like Don's in the house for us. Mm-hmm. Because if there's not, if we get lost in the noise, that's going to be a huge problem for us down there. And again, going back to an earlier point, we can't. It's an art form. It's an art form. I watched him do it, and he executed it to perfection. You've got to you've got to be a voice that is persuasive, loud, sometimes cantankerous, but also you cannot upset the people you need in order to move legislation yeah, through. Balancing act. Yeah, it's a it's a real tightrope. <clears throat> and uh, what I know is that there are members of the Congress in the center that will vote against someone based on their personality rather than the policy. And if we were to elect someone like that from Alaska, where the, the personality is so polarizing that someone can't be viewed as working with them, we're in big trouble. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I see that in Juno for sure. The yeah. personality gets gets in the way. So, well, it's we're three weeks out till less than three weeks out till the August sixteenth special general and regular primary. So it's going to be a lot, lot lot of anticipation up to that moment. But best of luck, and we're, we're actually doing a big election. Um, show on August 16th. We'd love to have you come by. Oh, great. It's going to be downstairs. We're going to have a whole, it's going to be like a four hour kind of do a big election central live show. So, you know, we used to have the fun ones over at the the Egan center Mm -hmm. and uh, those were always a great time, but I don't know what happened to them. The state stopped doing it in 16. Okay. Um, I guess money was the factor. So in 18, we actually, at that time, we partnered with the ADN and we did a election central at the Denina for the primary and it went pretty well. Yeah. And we actually did a, a, a we did a, a one for the general, the Egan Center. We put that on, rented it, worked with the ADN. Had a you know we had a live stream going on, and it was a lot of fun. But you know it's it's really expensive and it's a lot oh, of work. I would imagine so. Yeah. And you know I, the state should be doing that. But now it's so fucked up where you used to have like the results would come in, they'd update them. You'd see, you'd see right, it, it was right. fun. Yeah. But now like we especially this ranked choice. Oh, thing, you I don't know, know if you know they're they're, they're only going to show the first round right. of results. Yeah. The first place votes until all the ballots come in, which could take two or three weeks. Right. Which, you know, it just frustrates me to no end because in Europe, in Germany, in France, when they have these races, these huge, mm-hmm. you know, countrywide races for president or whatever, they know the same day or the next day. Yeah. Like this whole thing recently with um, Le Pen and, um, oh my God, oh, what the hell's the guy's name? The French president. Macron. Oh Macron. Macron and Le Pen. Yeah. It was this huge contentious thing they knew the next day yeah yeah well you know um other states have different laws right some states um the ballots must be received by election day right and that's how it works if you're if you're filing you know if you're if you're participating absentee mm-hmm. the ballot has to arrive by election day in order for it to be counted so there there are ways to do that but as long as you're as you, particularly in a ranked choice voting scenario that we're in now i don't know of another way to do it Right, and well, I, think, because, because, I think this and, is the, again one of the unintended consequences of ranked choice voting. And I mean, it, it actually makes, I, I as much as I hate it, it makes sense because if you start re- retabulating or recycling votes, where there's more ballots outstanding that come in, and you start recycling, it could have big, it could have impacts. Yes, if especially if there's a lot of ballots outstanding, I and mean, if there's a few ballots outstanding, it won't matter as much. But you know, and, and some people are going to vote for one person, and that's going to ballots not going to count. It's going to not, right. not recycle if that person goes off first. So I don't, I don't know. I just, I just, it's just really nice when you kind of have that anticipation and 
you know, the screen's moving and they update it. And that oh was God, fun. More, more we, precincts come yeah. in. Oh, well, oh boy. We all stay up till 2 a.m. to see who won the races. And yeah, we don't, yeah. we don't, uh, we don't have that anymore. Yeah. Well, Nick Baggage, thanks for coming in. Really, really appreciate it. it great podcast. We covered a lot of, we're over an hour. Wow. That's yeah. great. It goes, it goes quick. Yeah, so. I love it. Well, thanks for having me. It was great. And definitely come, come to the, um, our election event on the 16th. We're trying to have a debate. You, you've accepted and Mary Peltola has accepted. So I'm trying to, hopefully the Palin campaign will accept it. We want to do they a don't debate. Like, they don't like accepting things like she this. She told me on the podcast she wanted to do a debate. So well, I'm trying know, to, you know, we're, we reached out. Saying one and thing and doing another. For, for the folks <laughs> listening, you, your campaign and Mary Peltola's campaign responded very quickly and said, sure. Um, Look, but, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I love debates. Let's get out there. Let's do it, man. I'm all about having a debate. No notes, though. And no questions in and, advance. And, and I like that we did this for the assembly races, a debate, not a forum. I mean, these forums, I hate these forums because it just lets somebody answer the question. But a debate is where people talk to each other and ask each other questions. And well, some of these forums, you get the questions in advance. Yeah, I don't like I mean, That's ridiculous. I, if, you're, if you're on the House floor or if you're walking the halls of Congress, do you think you get the questions in advance when a member comes up to you and asks you about a bill? You don't get the question in advance. You get to answer the question right there yeah, on the we, spot. We, we've had these before in the past where people have said, what are the questions? I'm not telling you. I said, I, I give you some general topics. You know, we're going to talk about obviously things that, you know, we all know we're going to talk about, but this, I, no, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. Want in the questions. I don't, I don't roll that way. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, thanks for coming in again, Nick. And we'll, uh, best of luck. And we'll, we'll see you at the, hopefully on the August 16th and hopefully the debate and, um, if folks want to get the website and Facebook page, I'm sure it's easy to kind of get a hold of you. Yep, so. we're at uh, www.alaskansfornickbegich.com. We've got a very active Facebook page that kind of chronicles our movements around the state. So please check both of them out. Love to get your support, and uh, thank you for listening. Okay, thanks a lot, Nick. Appreciate you coming in. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me. And if you're uh, following us in any of the iTunes, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, whatever, give us a nice like and review. We'd appreciate that, and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.